Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Austin Pudding Podcast. I'm Harry. Today we have part two of our interview with Jeff from the Cheerful Desolation Choir and Doom Lover. So uh, this week we're going to get into, talk about things like uh, the role of music journalism, especially at the local level, and you know, the relationship that, you know, someone like myself has with, with artists and sort of how, you know, we can use that symbiotic relationship to prop up the music community here um, in Boston, uh, which is something that I believe to be vitally important in my work as, as a writer, as an editor for a local music publication and especially now that I'm uh, that I've been engaging um, in this podcast uh, so um, we're also gonna roast <laughs> continue roasting some some musicians that we love I think Randy Newman is on the chopping block <laughs> uh, this episode um, but yeah uh, without further ado here we go I may have It's been such a weird time to make music, uh, especially, you know, because I think 
one thing this crisis did was sort of uh, cast us off uh, into our own little spaces. Like I've been uh, mostly by myself uh, in this one room because I don't have a living room. Uh, so I've been mostly in this space for about 16 months now. Um, and, you know, that's that's a different experience than probably you have had. That's a different experience than all of my bandmates have had. It's a, you know, and so I think it's it's been strange to kind of operate in a way that, you know, to try to create joy where there is nothing, uh, to, to mm -hmm. kind of atomize the air around me and be like, all right, I don't want to write a bunch of songs that are like, woe is me. I want to try to write some stuff that's like, at least to put this on and you know disassociate like don't like i'm like you know there might be some like peppy ideas interspersed in it but a lot of it you know i just wanted to make some music for people to you know have a soundtrack to the times yeah. too you know because people were uh, would ask me a lot you know like how are you writing all these songs and there is like an actual method uh that i've been using um but you know they're like how like and i just like this is me panicking <laughs> like yeah. this is this is what my brain no, does you, when, i mean you've gotten a lot of songs uh, at, now that uh just to continue with this pivot into this past year and a half you haven't been able to get together with doom lover so you've kind of started this solo project uh cheerful desolation choir um and just this year not even like the pandemic year which i'm sure you were writing and recording but like in 2021 you have now five Basically full-length releases? Five full-length albums and a uh, cover EP that has one uh, new original track on it. Uh, okay. I'm basically... Yeah. Uh, the idea with this this project is sort of like speedrunning a career. So, mm -hmm. you know, the first album was like the weird indie darling that had like, you know, backward stuff. And it was really uh, like really wrote like drum machine heavy. And then mm -hmm. the second one, you know, it was kind of the rock balladry, a lot of guitars, a lot of, you know, longer, like singy songs. And then, you know, third one, folk album, Back to Your Roots. And so I did, mm -hmm. you know, that one has, you know, it, a lot of different, not a lot, but it has a different kind, like different styles of folk and bluegrass songs that, you know, were kind of how I grew up learning to write music. Mm -hmm. Then uh, after that, did the indulgent rock odyssey. It's fifty-five minutes long. Uh, it's even for that, me, that I, one's high communication. Uh, no, that one's no. Death, to, Death to the King is okay. fifty-five minutes long. I even that's the one where like I'll put <laughs> okay. it on and be like I'll look at it. I'm like I can't believe how did I write? Because it's all all the instruments are me. It's all me. The whole thing. I mean, I'm the choir. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the name is like three different jokes in one. It's it, it it's exhausting how how much comedy I've packed into that. Um, <laughs> uh, but, well, I mean, because this actually came up in um, the last interview I did, uh, where the artist I I spoke to has a song on his album called Desolate, um, and we're kind of talking a little bit about the the pure meaning of the word desolate. There is a connotation that it that it is you know, lonely or like a negative feeling where you feel desolate, but in its pure meaning, it doesn't really necessarily mean that it just sort of means like void of people and void of life. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm really and that's glad. sort of this past year for a lot of us where, Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, not a lot know, of people I, around. Exactly. Uh, and you know, I'm trying to be cheerful about it um, yeah. and, and sing a lot. Um, and also, you know, the CDC is just like the pure joke of the name, but, Oh my um, God. Yeah, dude, I, honestly, almost no one has noticed it. <laughs> almost nobody. 
almost <laughs> nobody has noticed it. It's like, oh, yeah, Cheerful Desolation Choir. And I'm like, hmm, yeah, you're there yet? <laughs> Have you heard of acronyms by any chance? <laughs> it's like, hey, wordplay, are you into that? You seem to like songs. So mm-hmm. how about the name is funny? Um, but actually, I'm glad you uh, focused on the word uh, desolate because uh, that was uh, sort of the biggest reason uh, for the name is that uh, two of my biggest uh, influences as an artist, and this is definitely uh, anybody who knows me is going to be like, yeah, this is very on brand for him. And anybody that meets me will be like, oh, this is very on brand for him. Uh, Bob Dylan and Jack Kerouac, very, very, very huge influences on my work. Um and uh, my favorite Kerouac novel uh, is uh, called Desolation Angels. Okay, uh, I haven't heard of that yeah. one actually. Uh, so it's basically I've only read On the Road, of course, because I was seventeen once. Yeah, they hand that Dharma yeah. bums. If you grow your hair longer than two inches as a high school boy, they have to give you On the Road. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like oh, he's weird. Give give him the book. Um, <laughs> I've been gifted the book On the Road so many times in different iterations, and I'm like, thanks, y'all. I, my bookshelf is just full of Kerouac. Um, but Desolation Angels uh, is he wrote it right before On the Road came out, and it starts off, and he is uh, basically just he has sequestered himself to a he's got a job as like a fire lookout uh, in the Pacific Northwest. It just He's just in one of those tower things, just looking out, wait, watching for fires. And he's just sort of doing his whole thing of like, you know, meditating and being alone and kind of ruminating on like, you know, I just, you know, on the road is about to come out. What does that mean? And he try and it, it's funny how prescient that's become now because, you know, after he leaves the fire lookout, he goes back to San Francisco and he uh, and, you know, kind of all of his books are like and he has trouble connecting with people and find he's always trying to find his place. And I think that's what any artist is doing is, is trying to place themselves in context because, you know, uh, a lot of the reason that Kerouac stuff resonates with me is because I, for a long time, never really felt very much like I belonged anywhere that I was. Cause you know, I, I moved when I was 11, 60, I moved 60 miles away from where I grew up when I was 11 years old. Um, which is, you know, I had just started making friends and then all of a sudden I, you know, 60 miles is a very long way when you're a kid, uh, and I didn't drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I spent a lot of time, uh, for the next bunch of years, uh, shuttling between my parents' houses on the highway. So I, I really loved the central artery. I thought it was cool when they did the big dig. I was like, oh man, I like going through the city on a highway. I, that was you know neat. what? I, act, I am cool. right there with you. I it loved, cool. I loved being like in the backseat driving through all the big because they had the big ramps that would go over it was everything. so cool it was it was wild it was so cool yeah no one hangs out in the green way <laughs> i'm sorry i'm to dig it back up <laughs> dig it back undo the big dig that's my platform um no but um and they so, didn't even yeah. finish it so like it's i actually uh not to sideline my own story i went to the dedication of the zakem bridge uh and sat on a chair on it and saw bruce springsteen play thunder road um, nice. The harmonica mix nice. was abrasive. It was. Oh yeah, yeah. Abrasive. No, I, I don't imagine they built the Zakem Bridge with acoustics in mind. No. no uh, um, but uh, yeah, it's that's hilarious. That like <laughs> of all people, they were like, "Let's get the boss to." Uh, well, he uh, Leonard Zakem was a huge Springsteen oh, okay. fan, so they called him. Um, but anyway, uh, so you know, I it really wasn't until and so I lived you know in Bridgewater for seven years and then moved to. 
Boston when I was 18 and I'm 33. So I, this is where I've lived the longest, specifically Alston mm-hmm. and Brighton is where I've lived the longest. So I never really felt like I belonged anywhere until I moved to Alston. And so, you know, all of Kerouac's, so many of his books are him trying to find where he belongs and failing at that or kind of sabotaging that effort. And so Desolation Angels is, is really cool because he he goes so many places in that book because he he keeps trying to be like, all right, I've been away for a really long time. Where do I fit in? There's something floating through the mic. Um, and, you know, I think that's just, uh, it's a really cool amalgam. Maybe not cool is the word, but um, it's definitely a strong amount, uh, like you know, analog for what I think, you know, a lot of us are going through now. Or like, especially me, I've been, you know, just like meditating on top of a fire lookout mountain, basically mm-hmm. for 16 mm-hmm. months. Um, and now it's like, oh, the world's coming back. And I'm like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know where. I fit into the world anymore. How do I be I, a person again? I, yeah, I'm just like, I I've been, a lot of a question that I have heard from a lot of people. I've never myself included, you know? Yeah. I, you and then know, I'm I, like, I shouldn't worry about it. Like, it's not, it's not that <laughs> fucking deep. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, one thing I, yeah, I said, cause you know, I, I practice Zen Buddhism. So there's a lot of mantra stuff throughout my day. And uh, one thing I find myself saying all the time is like, there's nothing I can do about it tonight. And mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, it, you can really talk yourself, into and out of uh, anything. And I mean that as a positive thing, but also that can be a very destructive thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, much like Kerouac, uh, constantly yeah. talking about, you know, you know, sabotaging himself and talking himself in and out of things. Um, and so, I, you know, he, that was one of the reasons I really wanted Desolation in the name. Uh, and then also uh, Desolation Row is one of my favorite Bob Dylan songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, well, one. I was like, I really want a piece of art in my life that I have put the word Desolation in so that I can be you know, that's one way to get, you know, that's like you can fly towards the sun, but not too close. <laughs> Just yeah, like, yeah. I, well, you know. uh, and please correct me because my knowledge of Buddhism isn't like, you know, super in-depth, but isn't like the middle path sort of a, a concept in, in Buddhism uh, yeah, where you yeah, kind of I mean, like have, have of like a more moderate, like balanced way where it's, you know, you you can talk, like you said, you can talk yourself in or out of anything, which can be a positive thing or it can be a negative thing. It could be destructive. Yeah, and it's I sort mean, of just about finding that, that right balance for yourself. Yeah. I think, you know, what the, the way that I got into it was, you know, one of the core beliefs is that desire is the root of all suffering. Um, and, you know, I find that that, uh, the older I get, the more I see that that is true. And so, you know, I, uh, I, I think one of the things that Kerouac talked about a lot was that, you know, he he loved to watch people kind of roil up in that desi- in that desirousness, you know, and and watch people kind of like enact that primal uh, feeling of like I like it's you don't need this. You don't want it. You're kind of just socially lusting after it. You're, you're you desire it. You know, you don't need a piece of chocolate cake. Um, but like, you know, you desire, that's the kind of thing, yeah. you know, you desire having more money than God, you desire having all the power in the world. You don't need any of those things. And I think trying to use my art to understand that concept and kind of also package that concept for people has been, uh, something that I really wanted to do with this project. Cause you know, uh, the difference between Cheery D and Doom Lover, I think, is that Doom Lover is a lot of I'm writing songs 
for that band specifically that I'm just like, all right, this is kind of, there are, there's a world uh, of Doom Lover songs that exist. And because I'm not the only songwriter, I only have to write a couple of the kinds of songs that we do because, mm-hmm. you know, Doom Lover has a bunch of songwriters. So really, as long as it's the six of us playing it, it can be a Doom Lover song. Um, and so with Cheery D, I've been, I've had all this time to kind of figure out uh, what it is that this project is and kind of, you know, write songs that didn't have a place uh, for Doom Lover. Um, not because I think Doom Lover couldn't do them or wouldn't do them, but just, you know, it's a lot poppier than, uh, you know, my my spooky alternative band. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but, you know, I think the names are supposed to kind of mirror each other a little bit too, because, you know, Doom Lover leads obviously with the more dour word and then lightens up at the end. Uh, and Cheery D, I want it to, you know, kind of, be that sunny uh, you know, sunny d the orange juice is de- also like <laughs> kind of the, just like i wanted to just sort of be this very saccharine kind of like you know i think i described it to you as harry nielsen loves hip-hop before yes, yeah, yeah um, I remember that description. and so you know it's just a lot of a lot and of i stuff bet that I, I bet he would too i bet oh, there'd absolutely. be some hip-hop oh yeah i mean he does he's also harry nielsen is just a huge huge inspiration for me because he wrote whatever song he fucking felt like you know the mm-hmm. The, when I finally got into Harry uh, maybe 10 years ago or something and found out that like I had already known so many of his songs and just thought they were all different dudes. Yeah, I, mean, I, jump, I jump into don't... the fire and coconut. Like yeah. those are. Yeah, I had no idea that he did coconut until like maybe seven or eight years ago. And I was like, this is the coconut guy. I... And, and then he did, he did uh, like one is the loneliest number. Yep. Oh, um, I mean, he wrote so many songs, like for everybody, like yeah. <laughs> just, you know, he, he wrote yeah, he songs all that the made place. the world turn. And, you know, I didn't know that for the longest time. Um, and so, you know, and it's funny thinking back, like when I was a kid, when I first heard the Lime and the Coconut song, I was like, what is this goofy, corny thing? This is so dumb. And now as I've been, you know, uh, as an adult and somebody who's been a musician his entire life and a songwriter, I'm just like that song is brilliant. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, it it's like, so good. A, yeah, I had incredible... I had never even know it, known it was a full song until I found out that he did it. I thought it was just like just like a little ditty, like maybe from like an. I thought it was. I guess I assumed I thought it was from like an old advertisement for like. Yeah, I mean, it's some, very like, jingly. It's yeah. very sticky. Um, and he was, you know, I think there's there's kind of two. Uh, competing traditions that were happening uh, around the turn of you know music for then, where the Tin Pan Alley stuff uh, was still uh, relevant almost, like as far as like people the way people were writing is concerned. But they were starting to get you know like the the '60s were ending and people were starting to not write in the like pre-approved styles anymore of Tin Pan Alley. And I think mm-hmm. Harry Nelson kind of really really showed that like. He kind of took that sort of tradition of like very like brutalist, like this is a song, a, a song has these parts, it's about this kind of thing. And he kind of, he did a really great way of subverting that while also sort of still playing in the mechanism. Mm-hmm. Whereas Randy Newman has a million very problematic songs. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what is his deal with, with short people? I, 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 that's honestly- He just wrote a whole song where he's like, I do not like short people at all. I don't trust them. They compared stink. to compared to uh, some of his other material, that one, I mean, that one is assuredly uh, very it, awful. But he's got some straight up racist kind of funny. trash. Like, it's, oh, 
Yeah, like yeah, I've never even, taken a deep dive into him. I don't stuff, even want to say the name of the song I'm thinking about. Like it, the the name isn't a slur. I just don't want people to have to look it up and hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, Randy Newman, I can't believe they hired him to do to- Toy Story. Um, Let's not forget that they hired Don Rickles to be a voice <laughs> in Toy Story, and like, and I love Don Rickles, but also like he's got some, especially not even in his older career, like. Like his entire career, he has some very, very problematic jokes. Oh that, yeah, uh, but also like at the same time, like two minutes later, he will say like one of the funniest things. Like I, I do kind of love that style of just like I'm gonna roast every and any and everybody, but uh, oh, yeah. especially like when he gets into a lot more of his like racial based humor, it's sort of like, you know, even at the time, it's sort of like. If you're going to do this, like, why just, like, fall back on, on, you know, cheap stereotypes? And they were cheap stereotypes at the time anyway. Oh, yeah. And I think, the you know, there's a huge contextual difference between uh, edgy comedy and what Randy Newman tries to do. So Randy Newman does a lot of what I call character work in songs mm-hmm. where, um, you know, he's sort of just like, imagine this guy. I'm going to be this guy for this song now, mm-hmm. um, which is on. It's one of my favorite kinds of songs to write. Um but there's one specific song where he's doing some character stuff and it's uh it's worse than bad it's not okay <laughs> uh, it's it's and it's like dude i like it's very obvious what he's going for and it never lands you're just it's like oh my god i it's it's rough <clears throat> it's rough i can't believe so yeah harry nielsen Nailed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Randy Newman. Yeah. Added lots of problems. Like oh, man, there's a, there's a couple examples. It's of like, like if you 70s. ask Dr. John his opinion, like, thank God no one's ever asked Dr. John what he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I love Mac Rebenack. I bet there's some weird shit floating around in there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just to go back to like, not just to Randy Newman, but like there's a lot of seventies, like notable seventies white musicians. Uh, um, the ones that come to my mind are like, John Lennon and Patti Smith, uh, the f- the former of whom I I don't really fuck with. Uh, I, the older I get, the less I can tolerate listening to the Beatles because of John. Yeah, you know, it's all John's fault. It's, yeah, it's all John. really just all John. I'm a big no, I'm a big Paul McCartney guy. As as I get yeah, older, yeah, I'm absolutely. more and more. If you were to ask me what my I'm favorite a big Ringo apologist, none of those guys had riffs. I don't know. Everyone like, <laughs> Ringo sucks. Like they all sucked. George was the only good one. Paul rips on bass, but like he doesn't really rip. He's yeah. very good. He's, he none of them rip. Some of his songs Ringo have need to rip. Yeah, some of <laughs> some of Paul's songs, especially in his like '70s career, have pretty great riffs to me. But also, I think that's more like other band members. Like when he's yeah. with a good guitarist, like he'll have some good riffs. But yeah. like if you were to Paul ask, writes incredible songs. He has oh, yeah. no he has no riffs. Yeah, if he you were need to riffs, no, he no, need no. Riffs. If if you were to ask me like what my favorite Beatles album is, I'd probably say Ram, and that's like my little <laughs> that's my little joke that I tell now because I'm like you know what Paul just I think he just really wanted to write some happy songs. I love love George's stuff. I kind of rate them more based on their solo careers at this point than like oh absolutely. Actual I mean, Beatles how can you stuff. not? Their solo careers were longer than the yeah. Beatles were. Yeah, like by um, magnitude. <laughs> but yeah, so like. To name like John Lennon and Patti Smith as two examples who have, I won't say the titles of the songs. I know, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but you know, they they both have like an example of a very problematic 
sort of misguided, very misguided song title where they're trying to make a social point about, they're trying to make a social point about the role of, of women in, in society or music, which is a fine, valid point to make. But the comparison that you're using is just, it, it's, not, it's not the same thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think I, I think that's. And, but I I love Patty Smith and oh same it's like one Patty one Smith song, Day in Boston yeah. is actually my birthday. Oh um, nice! What? Yeah, what October tenth. Okay, October tenth nice, is Patty nice. Smith Day in the city, and that is also the day of my birth. Um, yeah, no, I think you know it's a lot. It comes off, uh, and I love that I can bring this up. Uh, it it comes off a lot like the Michael Richards meltdown. Mm. Uh, you know, and the explanation he made where he was like, no, I was like, you know, he was doing character work. And it's like, you know, this, like, dude, I Kramer sure. was character work. But <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, dude, you like, you got to realize like, that's not it just doesn't it doesn't play, you know, like, and it's I, I don't know what they thought in like back then in the 70s, like, oh, it's going to be fine forever that I said this. <laughs> it's like it wasn't fine when you said it then. No, it's yeah, it's not going to age well. Um. Like, you know, I think and I think this came up in conversation recently uh, was that, you know, the thing, the problem with edgy media is that when the point of the media is the edginess, it tends mm-hmm. to seem like it's punching down and falling flat and it doesn't land yeah. and it feels uncomfortable. And if, if the edge is just a byproduct of what the bit is, of what the act is, that's when you're able to maybe not necessarily affect whatever change you're trying to affect if that's what you're trying to do. But like, that's, that's usually when it's taken better. The con- context is everything, you know? And I think yeah. um, one thing that I, I think is, has been really frustrating about being an artist in uh, this digital age is that you sort of have to be one of the best pieces of advice I got uh, early on in my music career. I'm doing air quotes for the podcast folks um, is that, uh, you know, you kind of have to like on social media, you should just create a characterized version of yourself and sort of always be creating that context uh, of and maintaining the context that you are an artist that, you know, you're that people know you. Uh, and so, you know, it's kind of uh, I have you ever seen the movie The Prestige? Yeah, yeah. With the magicians. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Christopher um, Nolan. So, uh, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen this movie. I'm going to fully the 16 year old movie. I'm going to spoil it's It's really great. And if you haven't seen it, stop listening to this right now. Go watch The Prestige and then come back. Um, but so, you know, there's that guy, uh, the old the old magician guy that has the fishbowl between his knees. And that's how he trick because his his trick is that he looks very infirm and frail because he walks all bow legged and stuff. And then he like does these incredible physical feats. And the whole trick is like, oh my God, how does he do this? And it's basically he lives his life with that fishbowl between his knees. He's always the illusion. He is always the prestige. And so that's kind of, uh, also, I just want to, as a side note,
I, I wouldn't, I guess I would, wouldn't mind having that where I have one where it's just like just my friends, like close friends. And then one that's like any random ass person who feels in, so inclined to follow me can follow me on this one. And then I'll just have a private one. But then I also don't want to do that. Cause like, who gives a shit? It's social media. Like, yeah, I like, I just, you know, I'm at the point in my life where like, I would love uh, to have a team behind me for music stuff. If only to like, so that I don't have to do like graphic design and like mm-hmm. rote band tweeting anymore. Like, let me do the shit posts. <laughs> I don't want, like, I would love to pay someone else to do so many mm-hmm. of the things, especially cause yeah. you know, all the cheery D stuff the last like year and a half, I've done everything by myself. Yeah. Um, you know, I've made, I've made some, I've, something I've been really getting into is making uh music videos with just stock footage um and it's sort of each one so far has kind of just been like me sort of making fun of really goofy uh music video tropes so there's like a lot of like word painting and it's just a lot of like you know it's just very obvious stuff um that you can edit together yeah. and make it look like you had some thought and but it's really just me like <laughs> music videos right um uh, but yeah, you know, I a lot of a lot of what I've been doing the last year has sort of just been a PR campaign for Doom Lover because we spent all of 2019 uh, writing a new album. Uh, we just had we we just gotten two new members, um, and one of you know two of them both being singers and songwriters. So you know we we wrote this whole album for a whole year. I think we only played two shows, uh, maybe four. I don't know, but. Um, and then we were supposed to start recording it in March last year. Uh, the la- the for our, our the weekend to do drums was the was March twenty eighth, I think. So obviously we haven't gotten into the studio. Yeah. Um, and so I had all that energy, uh, that creative energy of like ready to make a new album, ready to be in the studio, ready to you know produce, and then uh, that all got taken away. <laughs> Uh, and you know, a month later, I think it was on, yeah, it was actually, it was on 420 when I was like, oh, this is going to take a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, this is going to take some time. We're going to be here for a while doing nothing. So I better buy some gear and start recording some stuff at home, yeah. I guess. And, uh, now I'm 67 releases deep. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, well, I'm playing Harpoon Fest, uh, next month, uh, which is happening apparently. Um, oh, which, nice, is very, nice. which is very cool. Uh, it's the first. I, I, so I played a little uh, set at my house over the weekend, which is the first time I've ever played piano in front of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now my first show as Cheery D uh, is going to be at this festival. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, it's it's been. I, I wrote so many of these songs uh, without, like, with the express knowledge that I was never going to have to play them live, so I could make them as like large and ridiculous as possible because like i wouldn't have to you know ever perform the parts because i'm not 12 people Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and and then now you know i got booked on something uh that i actually had to drop out of uh last weekend which is why i played the set at my house so that was going to be my first show but it wasn't now um and so now that i have a, a, a set i have to do in public uh i'm just like oh okay how do i what is this project as a live set now like what what does that mean? And so it's been a really interesting uh, experience for me because I've kind of been like writing music on hard mode for me. Like I, mm-hmm. uh, I, so, you know, right before all of this had happened, I uh, left my, my theater job to spend the summer making that Doom Lover record and to learn the piano. Those were my two goals. 
because um, I didn't know how to really play the piano or write on it. I could, you know, hammer out a very basic part, but I wasn't good at it. Um, and so I was like, oh, well, I have all this time. Let me write some songs and base it on the piano and kind of, you know, that's, that's a great way to learn how to play music is to just write tons of songs. And so I wrote a lot of bad music and then I started writing more decent music. And, um, you know, it's been cool to kind of have these albums as documents of like how I got better at the piano over the last yeah. like 16 months. And yeah. you know, I got, I got a lot better at playing bass, uh, you know, because obviously as I've been a guitar player my whole life. And if anything, my first instrument was the harmonica. Um, I started playing that when I was four and then I've just sort of been working backwards ever since to like build up the foundation to play the harmonica over stuff because nobody wants harmonica anymore, uh, which is fine. It's it's a, like a bunch of tiny trumpets jammed into yeah, a trash I mean, can. It's, it's not like... It's not definitely a honker, but like I... I, I love a good harmonica. It part. it's one of those like a good a good like as long as you met out its use. Like when I go back to those early Dylan albums, if we want to hop back on the Dylan train, there's sometimes I'm like, oh Bobby, you, you yeah, he's he's just breathing in and out of yeah. it. Like sometimes he nails it, and other times it's just part of the other. Thing, my favorite thing about Bob Dylan, he's he's the ultimate troll. So like a lot of yeah. it is that he's just fucking with people. And like he's been fucking with people and telling everyone he's been fucking with them for like sixty years. You want to keep up and, a brand as and, or a persona as brand, like yeah. And Bob everyone's Dylan just like, like, oh, that example. can't be it. And it's like, no, he's just fucking with you. Like he literally, yeah. you know, my favorite Bob Dylan quote was somebody asked him, you know, Mister Dylan, do you have a word for your fans? And without breaking stride, he just goes astronaut and just yeah. kept <laughs> that's brilliant. You know, that's amazing. Yeah. Or he really likes uh, when he's on tour. He likes walking around to look at uh, houses that are for sale. But something that I've thought about a lot the last uh you know maybe 10 years as as the kind of the entire uh like pasture that's not the word i meant but the whole uh you know the geography the landscape that's what, what's the word i'm looking for the entire landscape of the music industry has changed so much in the last 10 years and i think um where things excel uh are when artists and the media work together and where things fall apart is when um, artists and media don't know how to talk to each other. I think that there's a lot of circumstances where um, because of what social media has done and sort of made this weird middle ground between uh, people, you know, journalists with uh, journalists that are actually doing journalism and uh, the, I think le media, media literacy is a huge deal. Uh, it's a huge problem we have right now. And I think a lot of people, uh, they've grown up in this gray area of not of you know like is just some guy's blog telling me this record good is that as credible as like this actual magazine uh, well, online magazine you know this real journal like you know what is it used to be very there was a clear delineation uh between criticism and your neighbor saying he hated the rolling stones back in the 70s um and so you know now i think that there are a lot of people who unfortunately see us as enemies like media and artists and adversaries and someone to conquer um and i think when uh for a music scene for a music scene to truly thrive uh i think is when we all need to find a way to lift all each other up and and to find these moments uh to create this symbiosis of like you know writers writing about stuff that they want to write about because they think it's helpful and then artists 
using that platform to be helpful. You know, it shouldn't just be about getting to there. It should be, what do you want to do once you are there? You know, I think that um, there should be an intentionality from both directions that what we're trying to do is elevate a message or an idea or, you know, just sort of, you know, like a good vibe for a less, less of a more scientific word. Uh, I think that, you know, it's, it's cool to see uh, that, you know, how ingrained uh, like, you know, people like Austin Pudding or Vanya Land, you know, it's, I love how, how much the local media has, the, that has survived, has dug in. I live my entire life under one uh, ultimate rule and that's meet everyone and be nice. And so far uh, I have been able to do, uh, you know, I, I, I've been able to do pretty much whatever I've wanted. Um, you know, I, it's, it's a great community here. Uh, I think you obviously know that as well as I do. Um, and the more, uh, the more shows start involving more than one genre, more than one kind of person, uh, when we start putting our money where our mouths are and, and really uh, not only just diversifying uh, the scene in every way, but kind of building an infrastructure that allows people uh, people to come together and people that are have been historically left out to be in and you know i think uh as artists we need to say like hey shows need to be live streamed for accessibility reasons um you know if you're booking four bands and all of them are four bands of white guys that play rock and roll change your lineup Mm -hmm. like we're done with that you got to stop because boston has an incredible infrastructure it has of of a music scene it it has everything it needs to be the world class city that it thinks it deserves to be um what we don't have is the uh emotional infrastructure of being together mm-hmm. we are hemorrhaging artists specifically artists of color um uh and you know just artists that don't look like me that aren't cisgendered white dudes that are from here we are failing them and we are losing them to other cities that like you know, I hope has more for them, but oftentimes in my experience, I've seen people move and then nothing better happens to them. They just aren't here anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think this is a very critical moment. And I think that if we take this moment now to say, hey, we're back, but under these terms, this is what it means for us as arts and arts writers. And this is what it means for us as the greater artistic infrastructure of the city. We want more community we want people i wish so much that people that didn't play music knew what it was like to be at a show and run into one of my music friends because i I, that's not that i like musicians better than non-musicians because that's that would be not a healthy way to look at things but there is because music is magic we're bending air to elicit emotions that's magic Mm -hmm. uh you know obviously there's math and science involved okay here it comes again. Um, but, <laughs> Wait. Uh, you know, uh, like, and so to, to be able to bottle that magic and know how to share it effectively is something that the art scene really knows how to do. And so I think if going forward in, these, in this new era, uh, you know, I think that we have a, an opportunity to come together and show the rest of the city like, hey, we love each other already. You know, like I, I already, it's like when two dogs walk by each other on the street whenever i see any musician i know um and so you know as as a community i think 
I hope that we don't waste this opportunity. And I think you yeah. starting this podcast uh, is is a great addition to the mission. So thank you. Yeah. I just wanted to. Yeah, thank you so thank much. You. Yeah, no, and, and just to like, yeah, no, Jeff Vachon from the Cheerful Desolation Choir and Doom Lover. Um, be on the lookout for the new Cheerful Desolation Choir album uh, that comes out. Uh, I actually don't have a date for it, but you know, give give Cheerful Desolation Choir and Doom Lover uh, a follow if you like the samples of music that you heard here on this episode. Um, and be sure to look out for Cheerly Beloved the new album from the Cheerful Desolation Choir, and listen to the five other albums that uh, the CDC has released uh, in 2021 alone. Um, really, really prolific songwriting uh, and release schedule, and it's all it's all really good stuff. Um, once again, I want to thank anybody who has been tuning in. We're now four episodes deep. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to um, my friend Matt Lissette, who um, has a great deal of podcasting experience and uh, made some time uh, in recent weeks to uh, get in touch with me, um, show some support, but also give me some tips on, you know, the recording, editing, and audio processing uh, process that, um, you know, goes into making a podcast sound sound good um you know as i've said before this is like a pretty diy uh experience right now um and i'm sort of learning as i go uh, and it's been a lot of fun um and you know be having somewhat perfectionist tendencies uh i really want to make this uh sound as good uh, at every level whether it's the content that you're hearing um, but also just, you know, in terms of the audio quality. So want to, want to thank Matt for taking the time to, to help me out there. Um, he's a, he's a great dude. Uh, and, um, 
yeah, I'm just super appreciative of that help and super appreciative of any listenership so far. Um, but yeah, uh, next week we'll be back with an interview with Montreal pop R&B singer uh, Jeanette King. Um, and that episode is going to be really, really good. Uh, her new album came out at the end of June. Um, but tune in next week and you'll hear all about that. Anyway, have a good week, folks. <laughs>